BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, it is hard for musical artists to make a living from their art these days. Most get a small fraction of a cent each time one of their songs is streamed on a major platform. We're talking coffee money, unless you're in the top 15% or so. And even if you are, well, there's a good chance scammers are eating into your earnings with copycat tracks. Not to mention AI-generated rip-offs of celebrity voices like Drake's. That's just the latest insult in a world where discovery algorithms are make or break. The future of music and the artists who make it, next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim. The way we listen to music and support the musicians who make it or don't changes dramatically based on the technology. Now, well, we're well into the digital streaming age. So real talk. How many of us launch a playlist in a genre we like and go host a party, drive a car up the coast, hang out at a park, while the music streams in the background and shifts eventually from stuff we know to stuff we don't really. The backstory, how money changes hands based on what we play, is clear as mud, not just to listeners like you and me, but the artists who make the music. Some people are getting rich, but not mostly the artists. So let's dig into it this hour. We'll start right now with Zach Nestle-Pat. Uh, Nestle Pat, sorry, Zach, you are an organizer with the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So, Zach, I know this is hard to do in just a few seconds, but give the uh, you know the elevator pitch. Explain how this works from an artist's perspective. We're we're a long ways away now from downloading individual tracks, right? There's a a whole generation of people who have grown up on all you could eat plans on Spotify, Apple, etc. Yeah, it's 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 pretty wild to have sort of every piece of sound ever recorded at your fingertips. Um, it's sort of a new moment in art consumption in the history of humanity. Uh, and we're, we're sort of grappling with the implications of that down at the level of a working class musician. And, you know, what, what it looks like really is we're not m- making money. I know a number of people who've just basically called it quits on trying to be musicians. I know people who have had to get out of making music that they believe in to try to chase playlists, to try to pay rent. I know, you know, 
people who are just like, okay, I guess I'm just going to always work at, you know, this other job and music is just going to be this, you know, thing that I make that's, that's fun. And, you know, that's all beautiful and that's all fine. And, you know, maybe you can talk about whether uh, that's right or wrong, but the truth is people are making money and there are people who are becoming billionaires from this and the labels love it and Daniel Leck loves it and Jeff Bezos loves it. So, you know, when you look at these people and you see, okay, so like somebody's making a whole bunch of money, uh, then it really turns into a question of why isn't it the people who are creating the work? Why isn't it the people who are creating the value that has, you know, made Daniel Leck a billionaire? Um, why aren't those people being able to pay rent or start a family or buy a house somewhere? And uh, that's sort of the implication of this streaming model that that we're looking at, which is really a winner takes all mentality where a couple people up at top who are getting billions and billions of streams um, are taking the the lion's share of all and any money that's coming into that ecosystem. And, and I uh, should I should just uh, jump in here and say Daniel Eck is the, is uh, the CEO of Spotify. <laughs> just yeah. for those who are not uh, up to date on the music industry, lest you think, dear listener, that the big artists have not noticed what is going on uh, as uh, Zach has just begun to describe. I I wanted to play a clip of Snoop Dogg calling out streaming companies because that's the main gripe with a lot of us artists is that we do major numbers with streams and this shit, but it don't add up to the money when i first came out my records would sell based off of physical if you sold a million copies that means if 9.99 nine million dollars you get this percentage that's what it is so if i sell how many streams how much money do i get it's not being translated and, and it's not working for the artist right now and i just want to speak to that we also have in studio with us today nastya vonovskaya Associate Editor of KQED Arts, uh, a specialist on the music beat. Nastya, the, the music industry is infamous, has been for generations for its fuzzy math. I guess I'm a little amazed, though. It's gone nuclear in an age when any of us can just check our bank balance or our stock portfolios every two seconds. Why is there no transparency in the music industry? Well, I suppose that's because companies like Spotify aren't legally bound to be transparent with their consumers. Um, and I think what Snoop Dogg said, um, so that was last month at the Milken Institute Global Conference. That was a remarkable moment. Um, what he's describing is fell across the music industry from the working class artists to the biggest stars. But very few people are willing to call it out, especially someone of his stature. But I think what he's pointing to is that in, in this age of um, streaming and social media, there are endless opportunities to gain exposure, but what is it leading to? The, you know, it's, it, it's very difficult to actually make money off the art itself. Oh, my goodness. And I should mention, folks, a disclaimer. We did reach out to Spotify, Apple, Amazon, YouTube Music, Pandora to invite them onto the show or you send somebody or provide a statement on their platform, uh, you know, artist streaming compensation or AI policies. Uh, nobody responded in time for this show. Let's turn now to Mark Hogan, senior staff writer at Pitchfork. Mark, somebody's winning from this arrangement. Who is? Exactly. And how exactly? 
Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I mean, I agree completely with Nasia and Zach. And it's it's the the people with the most streams are, are the ones who who are winning. I mean, it's it's basically a, a winner take all sort of system. Uh, the fancy name for the way the money is doled out is is a pro rata system. But basically, um, and and uh, Zach and Nastia can uh, correct me if I get anything wrong here. But it's it's a you know a percentage of the overall like yeah the the artists that are most streamed like based on on all the overall plays get paid based on their percentage of the overall plays. So it's like if every month I was only listening to. Um, I guess let's let's say Snoop Dogg. If that's all I listen to, my ten dollars would not go to Snoop Dogg. It would go to uh, you know Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift or whoever was getting the most streams in in that month. And then very 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 little of that trickles down to the artists that are not doing those kinds of numbers. And those are artists who maybe you know ten years ago were doing okay off of iTunes downloads, or um, you know before that were doing okay off of physical sales. You know a smaller number of sales, but people were actually using real money to buy it. Uh, and now it's the system where just the big stars get tons of money. And then, of course, you know, the executives, um, you were getting well paid. Um, you know, I was at the, the Grammys in January and uh, Jack Antonoff pointed out that, you know, you hear a lot about struggling musicians, but you and Jack Antonoff is the producer who's worked with um, basically, uh, you know, uh, Taylor Swift and Lana Del Rey and all these big pop stars these days. But he pointed out that um, you hear a lot about struggling musicians, but you don't hear a lot about struggling people in the industry. And, you know, everybody there was, you know, there, there for work. But, um, yeah. Yeah, certainly the, the average working musician has been losing out for quite some time now. Uh, Zach, I, I, I know you're not dumb about math. You figured out a way to reverse engineer uh, to, to sort of know your rough stream rate. I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell us about that. Right. And, and this, this touches on the transparency um, where, the, you know, you, you're told and everyone understands that you're paid per stream, but uh, you, you're never given a rate per stream. So how musicians figure it out is you look at how many streams you have in the pay period and you divide it by the check you get from Spotify and it changes. So like every single time you calculate this, you get a different number. And if you narrow it down month by month, every month is a different number. Every song has a different stream rate. And this goes into the, the transparency where it's like, we just don't understand how this is all functioning like how can the same stream the same song uh be valued differently on a month-to-month basis and you know what does that mean for us trying to have some sort of um uh bill schedule on our end as you know humans that are there's no way this money uh covers the rent nastia um, yeah, and I just wanted to share a statistic. So um, in an effort to be more transparent, Spotify has been releasing some numbers every year in an annual report that they publish. Um, so in 2022, they bragged that um, 57,000 artists made over $10,000 on their platform that year. But if you do the math, um, that's actually less than 1% of the total artists on the platform. So, um, yeah, it's pretty alarming. It is interesting. I mean, you you basically find out uh, what's happening from these companies through court cases, through what they tell their shareholders, but, but not how they make it apparent either to the artists or, or to the listeners. And also just to you know, clarify those numbers. That's what Spotify calls artists is not actually an artist because at after they say that, right, and send that money out, the artist has a split with their label. So maybe the label takes 80%, or if you're lucky, maybe the label takes 
And then what if you're in a band with four people? Suddenly the artist that Spotify said is making that amount of money is now 50% of that money divided by four. And and Mark, am I wrong in thinking that th- there is something very new about this streaming situation that, that if you... It, let's say you, you get lucky, you know, you hit the bullseye, you come out with a great track that has a lot of people excited. Uh, there are are folks out there, uh, small companies, many of them oddly located in Sweden, who, who <laughs> you know, who, who uh, have figured out ways to sort of automate slightly different copycat versions of that hit tune and sort of uh, get a piece of the pie, get a piece of the action. Yeah. So, I mean, so, yeah, the, the streaming situation, I mean, has, of course, been going on for years, I would say, first. And um, as far as transparency, I mean, that's an issue that, um, you know, people have been talking about and I've been covering for, for several years as well. Um, it's something where, I mean, in another life, you know, when I was writing about music on the side, I, I covered, um, you know, the financial industry. And, I, and it was kind of a shock how, you know, that world that you might think of as being, you know, shadier. I mean, it, it was it was really easy to get data and clear numbers. And then when you come to the music industry, it's just all very opaque, even though now, much like your banking, as, as was mentioned earlier, it's all online. You know, it should be pretty easy to, to um, get some numbers. And um, I did an article earlier this year where um, there was a, a, a nonprofit group called um, Public Knowledge that called for the Federal Trade Commission to use its authority to um, basically force the streaming companies and the major labels to shed some more light, at least you know, to, to, you know, to the regulators um, about how things really work. Because it's just, yeah, we, it's, it's just all kind of trickles out through court cases. Um, and as far as the, the scamming, yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of layers to that. Um, there's, uh, you know, for several years, it's kind of been theorized that um, Spotify pays, you know, these so-called like fake artists, um, which are, yeah, a lot of them were out of Sweden. There's a group called Epidemic Sound, um, and then uh, there's, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of issues around around streaming fraud that I'm happy to you know, keep diving into. But uh, yeah, it's just there's, there's it's just a a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of mess in this industry. For it sure. is a lot of mess. We are talking about how music streaming algorithms, AI, automation technologies are all affecting musicians and the music we listen to. With Nastya Vonovskaya, associate editor of KQED Arts, Mark Hogan, senior staff writer at Pitchfork, and Zach Nesselpat, musician, bassist, and composer based in LA. Whatever you do, stay with us. This is a great conversation. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim, and we are talking about the state of streaming music. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. We'd love to hear from you. Join the conversation. What's your relationship with streaming platforms? Do you use them to discover new artists or for background music? How do you love or hate your experience as a listener on the streaming platforms, as a music lover? You can call us at 866-733-6786. Now that you picked up your phone, 866-733-6786. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. We are, of course, monitoring uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Our account is we're at KQED Forum. And we've got a great panel of guests uh, for you to gain some knowledge from. We've got Nastya Vonovskaya, Associate Editor at KQED Arts. I hope I'm not mangling your name. (laughs) And then we've got Mark Hogan, Senior Staff Writer at Pitchfork. Zach Nesselpat, musician, uh, bassist, and composer based in Los Angeles and an organizer with the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. And we also have with us in studio now, Loretta. Russell, artist and founder of Good Company. Thank you so much for being here, Russell. Thank you. I'm honored. Uh, you know, I, Russell, Russell, you you were saying uh, just as we were going into the break uh, off mic uh, that that uh, it, it's a complex world out there. What you make from each stream depends on where that stream is is being played. Definitely, yeah. Different ter- territories have different stream rates. That's something I learned from diving into the data. And so, so like, how how does it compare for, say, one of your songs, uh, whether somebody's listening to it here in the Bay or listening to it in Brazil? Yeah, so I've noticed, like, if a stream comes from the United States or Canada, uh, some of the European regions, it's a lot higher than it is in, like, a South America or Africa. And I don't know why, what what's making that determination. And it could be currency. It could be, you know, the difference in, in currency. But I did know this, that the streams in those regions, the rate is a lot lower. You know, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, Mark, if you can explain how what's happening today with streams differs from uh, how things would have happened back in the day with ASCAP or BMI or really still happen. <laughs> you know, there's still things like vinyl sales, uh, believe it or not, cassette tape sales, uh, you know, movies, movie deals. Uh, uh, how how does what what's happening now differ? Well, I mean, that's one of the things we like to see a lot more transparency around, I think, is, is um, you know, a lot of the contracts were originally set up for the age of, uh, of, of physical, you know, uh, CD and record sales. There was a, uh, an electronic producer, Fortet, who was in a legal battle in the UK, I believe it was only last year, although it seems like longer ago already. And, you know, that was one of those examples where because it was a court case, we saw bits of his, his contract. And basically he was saying that he should be owed more for um, his his digital streams, uh, because his previous contracts hadn't really you know hadn't really looked into that, so it's just you know we've we've shifted to a model. I mean, this goes for you know TV and movies too, where it's you know we're we're you know paying you know these these subscription fees, all you can eat, uh, you know, versus an era where we were actually buying things. You know, Larussell, uh Pitchfork has has detailed in in recent years how. Um, uh, the 
AI has been used, algorithms, software has been used to sort of uh, grab somebody's voice uh, and, and, you know, insert it into somebody else's composition. Uh, Have you seen anything like this happen with your music? How do you feel about it? Are are you one of those, you know, are you more sort of in the Drake camp, like, (laughs) don't touch my voice, that's copyrighted? Uh, Or are you more like Grimes saying, you know, well, this is interesting, let's experiment? Um. I'm a little bit of both. I think if an artist gives you permission to use their voice and and use their stuff, then go for it because they granted that. But I think if they didn't and you're monetizing off of their voice and their art, then that's wrong. Zach, how how do you come down? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not really too concerned or interested, I guess, in the conversation about um, like popular artists and AI. You know, I think the, the Drake track is popular because people like Drake. Um, people buy Taylor Swift records because they want to be Taylor Swift or they want to be Taylor Swift's friends. There's, you know, this human connection. And I think as far as artists go or as far as actors go, um, you know, similar to what's being talked about in the WGA strike, uh, there isn't so much concern or worry as far as I'm concerned. But what I am worried about is uh, what's underneath, what, you know, the music that's being made uh, well, well below the line of, you know, quote unquote, famous pop stars. So this is music for advertisements, music for movie trailers, music for jingles, um, music that just gets put on a playlist. And that's all stuff where the human connection to a real person uh, isn't part of its success. And, and yet I think, it's part of the financial success of, of a working artist, you know, who, who right, isn't and, Taylor and, Swift. Right. And people... Real people are, are, are making that music um, or writing those scripts and they're paying their rent. They're buying food with, with that money. And, you know, it, it, again, it, it's not necessarily the technology, right? Just like streaming isn't necessarily the technology. There's no issue with having music transmitted across the Internet. There's no issue with a computer writing a track. The issue is with concentration and monopolization of technology to a couple people. And again, with AI, right, it's going to be Google, Microsoft, and, you know, Apple. Those are the people who are going to own AI in the next handful of years. And do we want all music we hear to be filtered through Google? Or do we want, you know, a low-level marketing coordinator to be creating everything we hear on uh, on TV or in playlists? I mean, that's not, as a listener, that's not what I want. And as somebody who... Uh, makes music. That's that's certainly not what I want. And you know, it does sound like the blandification of of our cultural universe. Uh, well, the phones are lighting up, so I'm going to go to a call now. Right after I tell the rest of y'all who need to join the conversation to give us a call at eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. That is the number that Kathy in Concord called. Kathy, what's your question? Well, I was hoping that someone could give a summary or synopsis of how streaming has changed the um, classic music buying uh, mode of you buy a record and it's yours, you can play it, you can mix it, uh, and it's always in your portfolio. How is the listener protected in terms of ownership once they've paid to obtain music? Mark, do you want to take that one on? 
Sure. I mean, I'm afraid, um, you know, and somebody else can, again, correct me if I'm missing something, but I, I mean, I'm afraid the answer is we're, we're not protected. I mean, we, uh, I mean, I've made, you know, plenty of uh, streaming playlists on my Apple Music account, um, but if I shift, you know, if I decided, oh, I didn't want to use that anymore, um, there's probably some way to export it, but it's it's not, you know, the albums that I that I have, that I stream on there, they're not, they're not mine. I mean, that's why it's still good to buy CDs, it's still good to buy downloads to go through, you know, sites like Bandcamp or the artist's own websites or, you know, buy music at, at shows, which is the most direct way of, you know, getting money into artists' pockets. It's not just good for the artists, it's good for it's good for us because you know we still have that record that we can play anytime we want to. Russell, can you tell us how how you operate uh, what what's the the economic model that that helps you stay afloat? Um I think you should utilize all of your tools. I think streaming is a tool. And um, as a consumer, streaming is like the difference between renting a home and owning one, right? You could pay a mortgage or you could pay rent to Spotify and not own the home but still utilize the infrastructure. With me, I allow people to purchase my music directly as well as stream it. So, you know, it's extra income for me. It's just extra passive income on top of if someone wants to support me directly. And I, I guess there are a lot of people who... Um who care, who understand that, that humans are writing this music and that we want humans to continue writing this music. Nastya? Yeah, I think what Russell is doing is actually really remarkable in the industry. Um, there are, you know, a lot of independent artists on, on platforms like Bandcamp where they're cultivating a, a fan base of conscientious consumers. Uh, and I feel like you're a leader in that because um, he kind of he has this model called um, Proud to Pay, where it's a badge of honor for a fan to support your art. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really seen anyone else do that. Yeah, it's new and it's been it's been really dope because it opens up accessibility. People who still want to own music and purchase it, they can purchase it at a price that makes sense for them when we do proud to pay. Uh, a listener writes, what should we do so musicians get paid? As you're listening to this, Larissa, I mean, it, you know, like, uh, how, how does your average person think about uh, making sure that, that the people they love Uh, get paid for their work? I think if you want to absolutely make sure an artist gets paid, then you should buy the art from the artist directly. You know, you could go to Walmart and purchase the product or you can go directly to the product site, right? (laughs) So this is one of those things. And also buying their merchandise, going to their shows, but even streaming, like I'm not um, against streaming, streaming. I'm an advocate. If that's the way that you can support an artist, it's better than an artist making zero dollar from their song. And it's perpetual. When you stream, you get paid every time it happens versus when we used to sell albums, a person could buy the album and play the song a thousand times and you only got paid once. With streaming, if they play it a thousand times, a million times, you get paid every time. A listener writes, decades ago, corporate interest shifted earnings away from playing live music to selling recorded music, a shift that made them more money than the artists from the get-go. The total inability of musicians to make money now is directly connected to that shift. But it it sounds, Nastia, like we're saying that it's not a total inability. It's just that, you know, the chessboard has shifted and artists have to think... uh, as creatively as they had to in the past to, to make sure they get their cut of the action. Yeah, absolutely. And there are advantages and disadvantages. You know, now more indie artists perhaps have followings than they, they would have before when 
it was just controlled by uh, major label gatekeepers, but um, everyone is also making less money. (laughs) (laughs) Right, at the same time. Let's take another call now. How about Benjamin in San Francisco? Hi, Benjamin. Hey, thanks for taking my... Hi. Um, I have a lot of guilt over my Spotify subscription, and I, I pay for the premium one for my whole family. But one of the ways that I've balanced my guilt is I find a lot of music on Spotify I've never heard before, and I immediately go to Discogs or other online uh, forums to buy the vinyl version of whatever that is, and I spend a lot of money on vinyl records. I have about a 1,000 in my collection. So I just wanted to bring that up because uh, there are thoughtful people who do use streaming services, and... Um, we're trying to do what we can, but it is hard to ignore all that music at your fingertips. <laughs> well, God bless, Benjamin, and thank you for sharing that strategy. Uh, Zach, does that warm the cockles of your heart to hear that? <laughs> yeah, it does. And I, there should be no guilt about using right. using streaming. Um, I use Spotify every day, and I've run a campaign called Justice at Spotify or help organize a campaign. Um, and yeah, I, I think everyone is, is hitting it. You know, you just, you just go to the artist and, and, and you pay that money. And, you know, I, I think it, it is important to just reiterate what, what I was saying before that, you know, by having a Spotify subscription by, you know, streaming music, you are supporting the artist. It's just someone is, uh, stepping in the middle and, and taking that support before it gets to the artist. Um, there's this fantastic interview with, uh, the founder of Bandcamp who said, you know, it, when they were running SEO searches at the start of Bandcamp, um, a lot of the sort of search trajectory was somebody going into Google and saying, um, so-and-so banned free download. And then they would find the Bandcamp site, realize that they could directly support the artist and uh, they would buy the music. So I, I don't think there's any issue with uh, the consumers. I think consumers want to support Art. I think they understand that supporting art creates a more vibrant ecosystem of better art and more interesting things happening. Uh, it, it's really just executives and concentration of power at the highest level. That That is the issue, and, and that's what we should be talking about. So the other way to support artists is to talk about it, to say that, you know, Daniel X shouldn't be a billionaire, that that money should be um, going to the people who, you know, made him wealthy. Ernst writes, the idea that streaming services contain everything is nonsense. I ran a record label for 15 years and released around 30 albums, none of which are available on streaming services. Tons of underground labels do not have their music on Spotify or others, and tons of old music cannot be found there. It can be found on YouTube sometimes, but not on the subscription services. Personally, there's very little of the music I want to listen to available on streaming services. Rachel, no relation, writes, there's a brilliant stunt the group Wolfpack did with Spotify. They made a silent album called Sleepify and asked their big fan bases to repeatedly stream while asleep. (laughs) Fans' response was good enough that they got $10,000 made before I should mention Spotify caught it and shut it down. Uh, And yeah, I I guess there there are certain hacks to be had, uh, ways to get around it. Uh, Mark, I'm also wondering if you can talk about some other solutions people are exploring with like... um, NFTs, for instance, or, you know, smart contracts. Sure. I, well, I mean, that's that's something, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's still sort of early days. I mean, I feel like I've been hearing about, um, you know, with blockchain, I mean, uh, 
Imogen Heap, who's a you know, really talented artist and you know brilliant woman who uh, I believe won a Grammy for uh, being a co-songwriter on a Taylor Swift song several years ago. Uh, she was telling me about blockchain um, like 2015, which I wish I had you know bought some of the you know uh, the Ethereum or whatever, um, and th- then I'd be you know be, be super rich right now and, and helping all the artists. <laughs> but um, it's something where I don't know that it kind of still feels a little scammy like you know it's something yeah. that you know like snoop dogg for instance was super involved in all kinds of web3 stuff a year ago um and i and that's kind of just a different way of making money i mean there might be some future in you know securing transactions or you know, maybe maybe with you know tickets having some way of knowing for sure that you know the, the provenance of, of these tickets and where they pass through but all that I, I don't know it's just kind of one of those buzzwords right now in a way that i think ai felt to a lot of us maybe several years ago and then now you know after chat gpt and everything and that drake song like ai is you know part of our lives in a way that we you know, maybe didn't expect um and actually you know it's actually generating music or helping generate music and as, as Zach mentioned, you know, putting potentially putting and probably really putting um, creative workers out of jobs, uh, and you know, blockchain is still just sort of a, a way that it's a, it's a term you hear that has uses. I'm not trying to, you know, again, I'm certainly not in San Francisco trying to uh, say that this 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 new this new technology is not not useful. But I think it's more about just ways of of making money um, and tracking the money versus like actual creative work. Yeah, um, I've seen independent artists here in the Bay Area that are proponents of NFTs um, talk about them as also a way to cultivate kind of like a, se- a, a a club of the diehard fans that really want to directly support. But I will say I've heard a lot less uh, noise about NFTs since a lot of the cryptocurrencies tanked <laughs> recently. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, well, let's see. Does somebody want to explain NFTs just, you know, like a capsule description? <laughs> I, I can try to do that. Yeah. Sure, because I mean, I, I did write, you know, um, yeah, back kind of at the height of everything, I wrote about some people who were some artists who were doing some creative stuff with it, um, you know, with, with, with that format. But basically, uh, it's it's, called, it's short for non-fungible token, which doesn't really explain anything to you. Um, but it's, it's sort of like you kind of it's almost a digital cryptocurrency based uh, certificate of authenticity that shows that you own a particular piece of, of, of digital art. So, you know, maybe anybody if it was just so it's often visual art. So, you know, maybe it's just some some jpeg file that anybody could copy but the you know the it's, it's there in the blockchain code saying oh i am the owner of this so uh i don't know that's kind of a simple way of, of boiling it down it's kind of as a crypto-based um certificate of authenticity i mean there's a lot more to it than that and, and lots of enthusiasts who have you know, plenty more to say but that's kind of, yeah, kind of boils it, it in down. a nutshell amazing mark we are talking about nfts uh scammy accounting and all kinds of stuff that have to do with musical streaming uh, in the modern age. Uh, join the conversation if you are listening to this as a listener, as an artist, you're just interested in what's going on. 866-733-6786. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Uh, whatever you do, stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myron. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim. And what you're listening to there, or were just until now, Otterly Music and Sephira featuring Grimes AI. Concept of Creation is the name of the track. Grimes told the New York Times uh, where she reviewed the various AI Grimes tracks. I love this one. It's probably my favorite. I think it's the best description depiction of something I would very much make, even down to the production and this image. It really feels like Grimes is self-replicating. It's so organic and Celtic around the hook, but so AI in the verse. She's even doing my list. (laughs) 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 So, you know, like, Nastia, there is... If you just take the uh, the attitude that, you know, the horse is out of the barn, uh, there's a lot about new technology that can be kind of exciting, you know, as long as it's out in the open, as long as, as uh, nobody's nobody's trying to get one over on, on the artist. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we're on the precipice of, of so many changes that we don't even understand yet. But, um, you know, I think artists um, using AI and all kinds of creatives are going to just be able to produce at such a faster rate to the point that, you know, you can give an input of just a description of the thing you want and the computer can generate that. So I, I honestly don't know um, how that's going to transform the industry yet, but I think in the next few years we're going to see huge changes. You know, uh, talking about uh, the ethical way to do this, I- I'd like to take another call now. Why don't we talk to Corey in San Francisco? Hey, Corey. Uh, hey, I had two points about um, using AI to, to take an artist's voice without their permission. Um, one is, I wonder if this could be covered under the laws about using someone's likeness without their permission, because um, I don't think likeness is specific to image. I think it could um, maybe include voice. And the second point is, if you're using an AI to um, uh, take someone's voice, you can say all kinds of things that would be objectionable with that voice that would be against what the artist would feel comfortable representing them. Um, so it's not just about money. It's also about, you know, what you're saying with that voice. And um, That's a, a great point, Corey. That way too. 
you know, I'm I'm thinking though, Mark, as I'm listening to Corey's yeah. concern, right? Like, uh, it makes a big difference if you're somebody like Bette Midler or Tom Waits, and you uh-huh. have the money to use the court system to protect yourself, or or you know, you're Drake's label, and you can you can throw down or threaten to throw down. Uh, if you're a small guy, you can't. Yes, yeah, I see that you're very familiar with this because, um, yes, uh, Tom Waits and Bette Midler were some famous examples of artists who used, I believe it's called a a right of publicity law, which California has and some states have, uh, to sue over people um, uh, misusing their likeness. And I believe in Tom Waits' case, it was a voice that sounded just like his in in a commercial. So, um, yeah, so it's totally right that it doesn't have to just be, uh, you know, a visual image. And it's also totally right, yeah, I mean, average working musicians, I mean, just most people, I mean, if somebody uh, comes along and, and does this, we're not going to be able to easily have a, have a, have a recourse. And I think uh, where a lot of these conversations end up going, you know, aside from the legal side, is that concern about deep fakes and, you know, um, your, your, your CEO calling you, but it's not really your CEO, you know, and then getting <laughs> you to, to divulge information that you shouldn't. So uh, that's one of the ethical concerns for sure that goes beyond music. A listener writes, it's pretty much impossible to be a working class artist in any medium in our culture. It seems AI will make it open season on any creativity. It's strange because creativity is so fundamentally human. Uh, Zach, is is the listener overstating things or, or do you feel like we're just in an existential moment right now? For me, I, I think it's important to make a distinction between humans continuing to create beautiful and interesting things and humans having a viable living through a labor craft. I don't, I don't see any existential crisis of humans being creative and making incredible art. That is intrinsic to us living and breathing. Uh, what is not intrinsic is us paying rent by doing that. And um, I, I think it's those two uh, lawsuits, the Bette Midler and the Tom Waits are, are really indicative of, I think, what we're, we're looking at. And I think the story behind those tells a lot because those were not AI, right? That was uh, an ad company reaching out to Tom Waits and saying, hey, can we use your voice for this ad? And Tom Waits saying, no. And then they go, all right, well, we'll just get someone that sounds like you because it's less money and it's easier. Um, yeah. And, you know, so we know what these companies are going to do with this technology, right? That because they've been doing it. I yeah, know. I mean, uh, sorry, Zach. Yeah, I was just going to add. I mean, yeah, this has been going on. I mean, you think about, um, you know, auto tune or or beat correction, which is a way that you know, people use computers, producers and engineers use computers to correct uh, the drums to lay them out, or quote unquote, correct. You know, to lay them on a grid. Um, that's taken work that used to be done by session musicians. Yeah. Yeah. There's al- there's always some new way to, c- to cut the artist out. It's a dance. Uh, I do want to get to some calls now. Uh, Ar- Arvel from Ontario, thank you so much for being here. Hello, how are you? Good. I take it you're, you're a longtime producer? Yes. And uh, I just wanted to make a couple of points uh, that I think everyone needs to hear. Uh, AI is a musical instrument. I know that sounds crazy, and it is just as anything else has come before and replaced whatever was going on before. Before the piano, people were playing guitars or harpsichords. Before that, it was a lute. Before it, it never stops. It's a progression. 
And and I feel like people are always afraid of the next move. I worked as a traveling musician uh, on tour, uh, as a studio session player, uh, background singer, you name it. I've done those things. Uh, but the fear that everyone places on AI, you know, uh, annihilating all jobs. It's, I think it's uh, the same thing that the guy who used to work on typewriters felt about the computer. <laughs> LaRussell, I, I see you laughing over there. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm in agreement. I think that it's an over-exaggeration of what exists sometimes. Like, to me, and hopefully I don't catch slack for this, but I think AI only threatens the mediocre sometimes. Like, the music I make is from my heart and soul and my life experience, and it can't be replicated by AI. Even if you listen to the AI Drake song, it's not anything that Drake makes in terms of personal music. It's literally lyrics that anyone can write. That's not the same as the songs that change the world. So it really just makes everyone step their game up. Those who are necessary and needed and making art that just can't be replicated are here to stay. And that's always been that's always been in terms of streaming and everything. Those who want it are here to stay. You're not going to go anywhere. I guess it's worth saying, Nastya, I mean, and, and maybe these are early days, but so much of what I've heard uh, that's uh, made by hacks, if you will, right, using AI, it just sounds like schlocky wallpaper versus like the people who really mm -hmm. touch us, who touch us in a kind of spiritual way. Uh, the distinctiveness of their voice is so much more than just how they, you know, phrase a musical lyric. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the the best art reflects truths about the human experience. So in that sense, there's no way to cut the human mm -hmm. element out. But to Zach's earlier point, there's a difference that that's not going away. But but, you know, the, the opportunities for how to make money off that, you know, are, are changing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we can take another call now. Thank you so much, Arvel, for, for taking the conversation in that direction. Let's talk to Paige in San Jose. Hi there. Um, I work at Streetlight Records in San Jose, an independent record store. And um, when streaming services first came on the scene, I had some fear about whether or not that was going to impact our livelihood. But I've found that so many of our customers use it as a way to preview music, and they do want to own it. So they do come out to the record store and they buy the record or they buy the CD. They're supporting the artist. They're also supporting the jobs for the people in the record store and contributing to this place of, of music um, community that, that we've created. And the Bay Area is rich with independent record stores. So I just wanted to mention that aspect. <laughs> Great to get a plug out there. And yet yeah, it, it bears uh, repeating that, you know, the more that listeners self-educate, participate in the process of of. Uh, educating themselves about music, the better we all are. Christina writes, I still buy music and discover new music on the radio, uh, from TV, movies. I feel that people take music for granted. I want the living artist to thrive and continue to make music. Paul writes, the simple solution is for Congress to establish a statutory rate for each stream, much as already exists for licensing, uh, to cover uh, a song. There's no reason the companies can't simply pay each artist a 
flat rate for each stream of their music, regardless of what other artists are doing. I have music at Bandcamp, but not much activity yet. <laughs> Good luck with that, Paul. Will writes, is there reason for optimism about the ease of streaming, making it better for musicians long term as more people keep paying for music for longer in their lives? I know that right now the scales are imbalanced, as the guests mentioned, but it seems like it might be a very good thing that more people will be paying and accessing music than might have been the case when you had to visit a record store and make one-time purchases. Um, I should mention at this point that you are listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim. Finally, a listener writes, I am a professional musician and worked at Pandora in the mid-2000s. This was the same time we were fighting the industry to change how radio royalties worked. We did not think it fair at the time that we should have to pay the same rate as radio stations in that we were streaming a song for one person at a time, not an audience of thousands at a time. I later ended up working at iTunes and then Apple Music and saw just how damaging that fight a decade earlier had been. The artist is the biggest victim here. If only we could rewind. I I guess, uh, Russell, you know, there's no rewinding, but maybe there is some way that we can um, collectively, as an industry, all the different players come together and say, we've got to do it differently than we're doing it now. Yeah, I, and it, it comes through embracing what exists. You know, we could all complain about it or we can embrace it and use it to our advantage. Streaming is one source of revenue for an artist. If your livelihood is dependent on just one source, you have to start expanding that and, and learn different ways to collect money. You can't rely on that one source. And it's like music is one of those things that everyone who loves music started. And when we started, we were making no money. Streaming has allowed us to make some money from something we made no money from just playing in our rooms, (laughs) not getting paid for it, you know, but everyone has complaints about this system. So it's something that we really have to embrace and utilize. It's an extra tool on our tool belt. Um, And you're not worried at all about the fraud, uh, whether it's coming at you from, you know, uh, labels or platforms or or just uh, individuals at home who figured out how to, you know, uh, sort of jump onto your back and and make a little money uh, off of your hide? Not necessarily, especially because I'm from the Bay Area. I grew up in a time of bootlegging. And I know for certain a lot of artists wouldn't be where they are today. A lot of screenwriters, directors wouldn't be where they are today if it wasn't for all the bootleggers who were, you know, taking their work and selling. It's still exposure and marketing, which is supposed to be the thing you want your music to get to as many people as possible so it changed their lives, right? Music isn't supposed to be made for you to make money. That's not that you're supposed to love it and enjoy it and put it out and share it with the world. Now that we can monetize it, we have to find more practical ways of doing so. But, yeah, I don't I don't have a fear of that. You know, if, if someone extra is hearing my song, whether they stole it or they paid for it, I'm happy they got to experience my art. Zach, I, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the fact that you are an organizer with the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. I, I do want to give you an opportunity here to, you know, quickly explain what it is the union is trying to accomplish and, and what the what the impact on the public conversation has been. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't uh, disagree with anything Russell was saying. I, I, I 100 percent agree with that. I think um, illegal downloads made a bunch of artists' um, careers and bootlegging the same. Uh, 
the point that I have a problem with and what I think the the union has a problem with and why we started the Justice Spotify campaign and why we're looking at various ways of sort of rectifying this is that, you know, again, somebody is is really making out well in this system. Um, And, you know, it's similar to if you're working at minimum wage and your boss drives up in a brand new Ferrari, you might be like, well, I just like worked 60 hours last week and I'm struggling to pay rent. Maybe there's an issue here. And I think the musicians coming together and having a similar um, moment where you're like, oh, are you also struggling to pay rent? Because I'm struggling to pay rent, but somebody isn't. And that's the conversation that the union is trying to have and trying to point the finger at the places that are really making money and saying, maybe they shouldn't make so much money. Maybe that money should go back to the musicians. Uh, Nastia, I can imagine that, you know, this suggestion hitting with a great big wet thud (laughs) in the boardrooms of all of these, you know, labels and platforms like, yeah, no, thank you very much for your input. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, the music industry and the arts in general are very um, individualistic. Every artist is kind of out for themselves. So I think um, what Zach's organization is doing is remarkable, but I imagine it's also very difficult um, to get traction around the campaign. People don't want to anger Spotify. Also, a lot of people want to project an image of success, like an aspirational image. Um, So uh, I'm sure there are artists out there struggling that maybe don't want to publicly say so. I imagine so, yeah. It's just like, please, sir, can I have some more? Mark, any any last thoughts? Yes, yeah. I mean, I mean, so I wouldn't be here without the file sharing era and Napster and, you know, free MP3. So, you know, guilt was mentioned earlier. There's a lot of guilt around that. And I think with, um, there's a couple of metaphors, well, lots of metaphors, but two that are relevant now that come to mind for me with uh, AI in music. And one is, um, you know, could it be like uh, the rise of, of sampling or, or drum machines, or, you know, this, this new tool that um, allows people who could, you know, who weren't usually even considered musicians to, to make music in a, in a beautiful way that we can't even imagine yet. But the other that I often think of a lot is uh, is Napster. And, you know, it's this, it's this new technology where it's like, as you said earlier, the horse is out of the barn. And, um, you know, and that led directly to Spotify. I mean, Spotify start, you know, rose out of file sharing. Um, and now we've seen that it's, it's, a, it's a situation where there's this wide gap between the haves and have nots. So, you know, can we, can we do things differently uh, going forward with AI? Well, I just want to thank all of my guests here for an amazing rip-roaring ride uh, through the world of streaming music. We have been talking today to LaRussell, artist and founder of Good Company, Zach uh, Nesselpat, a musician based in L.A. and organizer of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, Mark Hogan, senior staff writer at Pitchfork, and of course our very own Nastya Bonovskaya, associate editor at KQED Arts. I'm Rachel Myro. You've been listening to Forum, and I should mention that this uh, hour has been produced by Caroline Smith, Juan Carlos Lara, and Grace Juan. Uh, Marlena Jackson Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, and Christopher Beal. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Our VP of News is Ethan Toven Lindsay, and our Chief Content Officer is Holly Kernan. Thank you so much for listening. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.